My name is Professor Adam Zeman from the University of Exeter Medical School, and I'm with Professor Angela Vincent, Emeritus Professor of Neuroimmunology at the University of Oxford. So Angela's interests began at the neuromuscular junction, and she did a great deal of work on myasthenia gravis with John Newsom Davis and others. But over recent years, her, the focus of her interests has switched from the peripheral to the central nervous system. And I wonder how it is that that came about. What was it that turned your interests from myasthenia to central nervous system disease over the past few years? Well, we had been studying neuromyotonia, which is a disease of the peripheral nerve predominantly and causes excessive muscle activation rather than the reduced muscle activation you get in myasthenia. And we'd shown that some of these patients at least had antibodies to a potassium channel. And as with so many of the things that have helped me in my career, it was a, really a single patient that led the way towards the brain. And this was a patient with this rare disease called Morvan syndrome, in which the patient has peripheral nerve hyperexcitability with muscle fasciculations and cramps and pain and sweating, which is probably autonomic, but also has central nervous system involvement, and particularly insomnia, which can be really extreme, confusion, hallucinations, and other cognitive problems. And it was finding antibodies to potassium channels in that patient, and then subsequently finding that the patient recovered to a very large extent with plasma exchange that convinced me that, yes, antibodies probably could get into the brain and cause brain disease. And from then on, it was sort of just a slow pro progress, case by case at first, and then obviously taking off as it has done in the last 10 years. So the voltage-gated potassium channel antibodies proved to be a relatively common cause of limbic encephalitis. And now it looks as if they may on occasion also cause other forms of central nervous system disease. So are they sometimes relevant to psychiatric disorder? Well, I think each of the antibodies that has now been defined um, by us, but also largely by Joseph Dalmau and his group, each of them can be associated with much more predominant psychotic features, often at onset and probably in isolated cases where they don't progress to any further disease, as is always the case with diseases. There will be some relatively isolated symptoms and one has to start looking for these, as ourselves and others have done. So your interest began with the anti antibodies to voltage-gated potassium channels, but a number of other antigens and antibodies have come to light since. Which are the most prominent of those? Oh, well, I think, without a doubt, the one that has caught everybody's attention, and rightly so, is the NMDA receptor antibodies, which were first described by Joseph Damau and his colleagues in Philadelphia. Um, he's now back in Barcelona, predominantly. And... Those antibodies are remarkable because they're present in younger patients, often with a teratoma of the ovary, and they do get better when you treat them, although we all have to admit that in some cases you have to continue the treatment for a long time. They're not as easy to treat as most of the patients with potassium channel antibodies and limbic encephalitis who can get better within a few months and be back at home leading relatively independent lives. So these younger patients are more tricky. They have to be in intensive care quite often for a long time, and that, of course, leads to its own problems. But ultimately, they usually get back home and have recovered most, if not all, of their functions. 
So these antibodies can cause really rather a wide spectrum of neurological and psychiatric disorder. What's the balance between perineoplastic and non-perineoplastic cases? Well, I think with these antibodies, the more patients you find with the antibodies, the more likely it is that you won't find a tumour. I think often initially they have been identified because of the tumour, and then subsequently you realise that the same antibodies and the same syndrome occurs in patients without any obvious tumour, and they never develop one, so they probably didn't have one. And these conditions sometimes resolve spontaneously? Yes, it's not very often that you have that opportunity, but there were some early cases reported from Japan where the patients were subsequently found to have NMDA receptor antibodies, and in fact had done really quite well, even without treatments. The potassium channel antibodies, in a few cases we know, have resolved spontaneously, and they certainly do go down over time spontaneously. In most patients, one would like to treat them quickly in case they don't get better without treatment. How sure can we be that treatment is is needed and beneficial? Of course, that's difficult without a a clinical trial, and nobody um, feels that they would be justified in doing one. I think it's probably fairly clear that you ought to treat them. (laughs) And certainly Joseph's work on the NMDA receptor antibodies suggests, in Lancet Neurology, for instance, suggests that if you don't treat them, they do have a worse outcome. But it's not as clear-cut as you might think. Clearly, some of these disorders have neoplastic triggers. Do, Do we know about other triggers? Well, there's always been interest in the possibility of molecular mimicry, antibodies occurring subsequent to some sort of infection. And, of course, in Guillain-Barré syndrome, that's the classic case where you have a Campylobacter jejuni infection and then three weeks later you get the paralysis, which is GBS. In these diseases, that's, there's no clear-cut evidence for that in the majority of patients, although many of them seem to have had some sort of infection quite recently, which might have somehow triggered the immune response, but not in a specific way. Because, in fact, if you look at the infections, they're almost always different infections. So it's fairly unlikely that it's a direct molecular mimicry. But there's this interesting story recently which has emerged, which is when patients' um, children with an HSV encephalitis have been treated reasonably successfully, have perhaps gone home with some disability, and then they've relapsed. And it turns out that the relapses are probably going to prove to be autoimmune in a high proportion of those children. We found NMDA receptor antibodies in in a small study. Joseph Damar has also found them, and others too are beginning to. So that's a very interesting situation where a particular disease, which causes a lot of brain destruction, is then followed by the production of this antibody, which is probably then causing a relapse in which the clinical features are much more typical of the antibody-mediated disease. Mm -hmm. And you're joining forces with the psychiatrists to investigate the possibility that some apparently sporadic cases of of psychosis may be due to the kinds of antibody you've been describing. Well, I think with the advent of these diseases and the fact that there are treatments now which can be used and the knowledge that there are patients with intractable epilepsies, with psychosis, difficult to treat, one's bound to be asking the question, could some of these be autoimmune, since the symptomatology is is quite similar in some cases. And so, of course, we are doing that. We're doing studies on epilepsy with Bethan Lang, my colleague, 
and also with Belinda Lennox and Camilla Buckley in Oxford, we're looking um, at quite extensively at um, cohorts of patients with psychosis. And many cohorts have actually been sent to us independently of, of those studies. So sooner or later, I hope we'll get an answer as to what proportion of patients with first episode psychosis do have a probable autoimmune disease and how many of those patients you would need to test in order to find them and what might be the signs to look for um, to try and discriminate between the autoimmune ones and the ones with no known cause. Do you have a preliminary answer to the question of prevalence? Is it going to be a few percent? So yes, it would be less than 10%, I would have thought, almost certainly. And it's the same in the epilepsies. It's It's beginning to look like perhaps 10%. And then you begin to focus in. In epilepsy, we find that the patients who have focal epilepsy of ILIA-defined unknown cause are the ones that are most likely to have antibodies. But the treatment studies haven't been done yet, so we don't really know if these antibodies are going to be informative about immunotherapy-responsive disease, which is, of course, what we are trying to identify. And related to that, as, as the sensitivity of your tests increase and the range of disorders associated with these antibodies increases, the problem of false positives is going to loom, loom larger. Yes. Well, for one thing, first thing to say is don't call them false positives, if you don't mind, because that suggests that we've made a mistake, and we try very hard not to make mistakes. And when we say that there is an antibody, we mean that we have detected antibodies binding to the surface of an antigen and that it hasn't bound to other antigens which is about as clear as we can get on a routine test. So we don't think they're false, but we do think, just like in the HSV encephalitis, that the damage to the brain had somehow caused an autoimmune reaction against NMDA receptors. We believe the same thing can be happening in other diseases, and we know that there are patients with few patients, very small proportion of patients with sporadic CJD who have developed antibodies during the course of their disease, and those antibodies are probably secondary to the brain destruction. They could be contributing to the clinical features, but they're not going to prevent the patients succumbing to that diagnosis, to CJD. So there's some so possibility of clinically irrelevant... There is always irrelevant. clinically irrelevant, but probably secondary antibodies occurring. But please don't call them false positives. I will I'll rem- we'll remember not to in the future. Thank you very much. Professor Vincent, for discussing autoimmune disorders of the central nervous system today. Thank you, Adam.